0: Thank you. Wonderful. Oh, he's doing both. Let's give it up for Reese. Come on. What a guy. Thank you, sir. Perfect. Good stuff. All right. Okay, we're a bit of a classroom this morning. I hope you're cool with that. Um, For all you visual people out there, I know Elisa was really happy to see a whiteboard up here, but I'm doing this for you (laughs) because I'm a visual person as well. And um, yeah, what we're talking about today, I just really felt like we need some visual stuff going on for us to really catch, um, yeah, what what God wants to talk to us about today. So um, why don't we pray? Why don't we just fix our eyes on Jesus just for a moment? Let's pray. Thank you, God. God, we thank you for your presence, and God, we just pray that we would be in tune with your spirit today, God, that our ears would be open, and Father, we pray that you would give us new eyes to see, to see our world, to see ourselves, and to see you, most importantly, God. So, Father, give us this. Thank you for your grace. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit sad to be coming to the end of our um, our series, our I Don't Get That series. I've really enjoyed this. Who else has enjoyed this series? Yeah, cool. We, we may just continue doing this series then, if you've enjoyed it. Um, I've enjoyed uh, doing the research, to be honest, to be able to bring you um, the Word. And um, yeah, it's been brilliant. It's been really great. And so today we are actually going to finish up um, this series talking about heaven. And I know, and I just got to apologise because I know that this week has been promoted as we're talking about stars and angels and, and that kind of spiritual stuff, which would have been really, really um, important, of course, and really interesting, I believe. But um, as I was doing a bit of research into the different questions that people wrote in, I really just felt God say, I just want you to give them a context for these questions. I, I want you to almost reveal my heart about, uh, you know, the spiritual world and all that kind of stuff so that we have a foundation, we have a context in which to then pursue, you know, further um, questions and answers and things like that. So I hope that's okay with you. If you came to hear about astrology this morning, I'm really sorry. Um, but we can always have a chat in the foyer. We've got amazing lift group leaders and elders who I'm sure would love to take all your questions about astrology and, and what star sign you are and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, we should scrub that from the from the um, thing. Um Alright, so, we, yeah, so we're going to be talking more about a context today um, and the context that we're going to be talking about um, is heaven. So when I talk about heaven, um, what I mean is God's dwelling place. So I'm not talking about the heavens that the Bible talks about in that, um, you know, it's the earth sky, but we're going to be talking about heaven, God's dwelling place. And where we're going to begin... Uh, to talk about this is at the very beginning of creation, of course. Um, We can't go past that. And so we're going to begin... Sorry about that. We're going to begin by looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. How God created the heavens and the earth. So let's write that as heaven. And he created the earth. Earth. So already, for some of you, this might be messing with your mind. Because you, when you think of heaven, God's dwelling place, and then earth, man's dwelling place, you think of heaven up here, earth below. Am I right? Yes? Okay. So when we look at the account of creation in Genesis, this is actually the reality. This is actually God's intention that God and man would dwell together. Isn't that beautiful? That's amazing. So I want to just paint a bit of a picture um, of what this would look like because we we don't experience this today, and I'm going to get to that a little bit later on. But this is really actually hard for us to comprehend. Now, in my mind, what this kind of space, God dwelling with us fully, um, you know, we had full access to him. What that looks like to me is maybe me chilling out, on the beach in Hawaii, um, you know, just like sipping on orange juice and eating unlimited fish tacos without the calories, of course, that for me would be heaven on earth. That for me would be uh, uh, this richness of heaven and earth being together. But you know what? The Bible actually paints for us an even better picture than fish tacos on the beach in Hawaii. Um, It actually paints for us a picture of heaven um, in that our souls are actually alive. Our, our soul health is at its optimum, and so we see this picture in Genesis two, uh, verse twenty-five. It says, "Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame." Now, this is really hard to comprehend, right? Because um, this picture, first of all, it, it wasn't heaven because people were running around naked. Just get that, you know, that kind of image out of your head. What we got to know is that in Hebrew scripture. This, um, what, what the Hebrew authors, what the biblical authors would do is actually provide a picture um, to, to give us words, whereas in the Greek language in which the New Testament is written in, we would have words to describe a picture. So you're kind of following me? So when we have this word um, nakedness and no shame, it's actually painting a picture of us where nakedness would represent this vulnerability. It would represent this this reality of being fully known and fully seen, not just on the outside, but on the inside. So, so man um, and his wife, Adam and Eve and God, they would be in this place together and they would be able to see each other fully and there was no shame. Now, this is so hard for us to comprehend now that we live in a fallen world where sin has entered in, right? Because whenever we commit sin, whenever we wrong somebody or we are wronged, What is our uh, natural inclination? It's to run and hide, isn't it? Which is what shame does to us. But if you can even think for a moment a reality where there was no shame, how amazing is that, right? There was no shame. There was only life. There was only joy. There was only peace, contentment. There was only all of these good, wonderful things that God actually intended us to exist with. That was God's intention, that heaven would be with earth, that we'd have full access to life and everything that comes with life, that we would be known and fully known and there would be no shame. That was God's intention. And I want us to really grasp that this morning because it'll really help in where we're going. So we've got to remember that that was God's intention for us the whole time, this whole time. All right, so now we're going to fast forward to um, what happens next, basically, in the creation story. Um, what happens is that God creates this garden. So he creates e- uh, Eden. Call that E-D. So God creates Eden. And what Eden represents is this special place where God would come and meet with the humans. So they would come, they would meet, they would talk together, they would walk together, they would do life together. They would hang out together. And as I mentioned before, it wasn't a, um, you know, it wasn't a part of God that these humans could encounter or experience. It was the fullness of Him, and He could encounter the fullness of humans as well. So that's what Eden represents. But what we also know in Genesis chapter two is that when God creates this garden, this meeting place for the humans in Him, He puts these two trees in there. So one is the tree of life and the other tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God instructs the humans. He says, humans, now this is the tree that you can eat from, the tree of life. The tree of life was really important because what it would give was life. So when you ate the fruit of it, it would give you more and more life. And so if the humans ate from that, it was life for eternity. That's what it actually meant. But then God cautions, he actually says, do not eat the fruit of the knowledge from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do that, you will die. You see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what we got to know is that what knowledge meant then was more than just brain knowledge for that's what we believe now, right? When we think of knowledge, we think of what's in our brain. But knowledge and knowing was actually experiencing. It was, um, it was taking on. And so when humans would eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have then the capacity to do evil. You following me? Yep. Okay, so they'd have the capacity to sin. And so we fast forward in the story where, of course, the humans, they sin. They take and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then they have this capacity to do evil, right? Sin enters the world, and and basically that becomes their state now. And so what God says is that, okay, we actually need to remove them from Eden. We actually need to remove them from this dwelling place because they, if they eat from the tree of life, then they will be in this state perpetually. So they will experience eternal death and eternal sin and shame. So that's why God said... Well, I don't want that because that would be going away from my intention and my ideal for humans to actually have full access to my presence and full access to life. And so what happens is that God kicks the humans out of Eden and he stations at the, the door or the, um, the entrance into Eden what we call the cherubim. And so that's kind of the first sort of um, uh, sighting or or, um, first part in the Bible that we hear about these spiritual beings. God places spiritual beings at the entrance of the garden so that human beings, fallen human beings, could not enter in again, take from um, the fruit of the tree of life and then live forever in that state. And so that's what happens. And by necessity, because heaven is God's dwelling place, heaven and earth are separated. They're driven apart because of sin. So I'm going to try draw. Nah, I can't do it. (laughs) I was going to say, I'll try to draw all of these circles on here so we see um, the journey coming through. But sorry, we won't be able to. So we see heaven and earth are driven apart. And now, what's really sad is that it's like God gives us a chance. He gives humanity a chance. Um, but what we see in the Bible, and this comes in Genesis chapter 6, is that it gets to a place where because God's life and His presence can't be dwelling on the earth because of all of the sin. That represents sin. Um, What actually happens is, is that in Genesis 6, we hear God actually saying, my heart's grieved. I'm watching uh, what's going on in the hearts of humans and there is no goodness left. Let's take a read of that. In Genesis 6, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And so this picture here, we know that this is not God's ideal. He wanted us to dwell fully with him, having access to him always. And so this was not ideal. He he had to do something. And this is where God institutes the temple system. So as we read later on in that the humans begin to populate the earth, God chooses this, this people group called the Israelites to become his own people so that he can model to us what he's done throughout history to bring heaven and earth back together. And so what he does... Is that he creates a temple system, and so if you've um, read, you know Leviticus. I know we touched on that a few weeks ago, but if you read Leviticus and um, Exodus, you'll know that God actually sets up this system so that a meeting place can, um, so that there can actually be a meeting place between heaven and earth, between God and His people, and so He institutes a temple system. So we're going to put a T there, and that's Earth. So we're here. So now what God does is that, let's have a look. All right, so in Exodus 25 verse 22, it says, "There above the cover between the two cherubim. So remember, this is a picture of Eden, this meeting place, because we see the, those um, two spiritual beings again, the cherubim. There above the cover between the two cherubim that that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you. So God is basically setting the Israelites up with, this is how the temple is going to work. This is what is required. And there I will meet with you. And so what ends up happening is that God um, tells the people that for sin to be forgiven, blood needs to be spilled. Blood is actually required. And in the Hebrew thought is that life is actually in the blood. And that's why it was so important for there to be an animal to sacrifice. And so with this temple system, we have a lamb. So God instructs the Israelites to bring a lamb that is perfect, that is unblemished, um, to come and be sacrificed in this meeting place. And that for... um, For that existence of the Israelites, they actually set up this meeting place. So, as the lamb would come, this um, would normally be a place of sin, but as the lamb's blood was spilt in the temple, it creates what we can kind of call this morning a clean zone where humans could come in and meet with God. So, in this space, heaven and earth would come together. God would meet with people, would speak to people, and people could encounter his life and his presence. But the thing is that, as we see, this is still a clear uh, uh, far cry from God's ideal in that heaven and earth fully being together again. And so what God does is that he sets us up temporarily until Jesus um, was to come. And the Bible talks about how Jesus came at the, at the right time to be the fulfillment of this temple system. And so when we see in Jesus, when we look at his life on earth, and you can read about his life in the Gospels, we see clear evidence that he brings heaven to earth In that he goes around healing people of their sickness. He, he comes across blind people and he causes them to see. He sets people free and he forgives them of their sin and he gives them life and life in abundance. So we know that Jesus comes to bring heaven on earth. But there are some really cool, notable things that are confessed about Jesus or said about Jesus even before he begins his ministry here on earth. And I want to read a couple of those to you this morning. So in John chapter 1, so this is Jesus right before... Um, he's basically just coming out on the scene and he's going to begin his ministry. And then we come across this man called John the Baptist who was baptising people in water, preparing them for when Jesus would come to baptise people with the Holy Spirit. And this is, G- this is John's declaration of Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in this confession of Jesus, John was actually pointing to this temple system and saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the one who's going to come and set up our ability to meet with God for all eternity. So he makes this declaration, Jesus is this unblemished, this perfect Lamb of God who will be sacrificed for our sin. And then we come across this second declaration in the very next chapter, in John chapter 2, verse 18 to 22. What happens is, what's going on in this scene is that Jesus comes into the temple. So now a temple is built and Jesus comes into the temple. And he sees that instead of it being used as a meeting place with God, a place that was meant to be so sacred, a place where people could come and encounter God's love, instead it's been turned into a marketplace where people are profiting. He's seeing greed take hold of people. Um, People are making money off of what is meant to be this really sacred space for people to come. And so Jesus, being God, of course, is angry. He, he begins pushing over tables. He, one Bible account talks about how he created this whip out of ropes. And he was basically just clearing the temple of all of this stuff that was going wrong. And he says this. It says this in John chapter 2. The Jews then responded to him. So there were some Jewish leaders around the place and, and they were at this point corrupted and they would have been making money off of people um, who, who were purchasing different things in the temple. So they respond to him and his actions with what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken. You see, this is the beauty. This is the, the amazing thing that we see when we partake in communion. We see Jesus as the lamb who was slain, the blood that was spilt, which is represented in the cup, in the juice. And then we see that Jesus' body was broken. This is the temple that he is talking about, that his body represents the temple in which the sacrifice took place. And so in these two confessions, And we know because when we read um, the rest of the account of the Gospels and how Jesus died on the cross and how he took our sin upon him, how his blood was shed, but that he rose three days later overcoming sin. He had victory over the grave. We see that Jesus, in fact, fulfilled this temple system. So instead of humans having to come in, provide a sacrifice each time for a temporary forgiveness of sin, now when we put our faith in Jesus, what happens is that we have a permanent clear zone. In that the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are made righteous. We are cleansed from all sin. We're cleansed from all unrighteousness. Shame has no more foothold in our life, all because of Jesus and His sacrifice. He created a permanent clear zone that once we enter into it, we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb that was slain. It's awesome. I love it. Come on. So Jesus has provided that for us. And now the awesome thing is that before Jesus goes to be with God in heaven, what happens was when Jesus died on the cross, he rose three days later and then he came back to say some final messages um, to his disciples and to the ones that would carry his message of good news into the world. He gives us three um, messages before he departs. And in Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, it says, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we see there's another um, bit of proof where Jesus has overcome the power of sin, he's overcome the power of evil. So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So within this passage of Scripture we see three things. The first thing, and this is connected with something else that Jesus says, is to wait for His holy Spirit. because what Holy Spirit, what ba- being baptized in the Holy Spirit means is that we are filled with the presence of Jesus. So we're filled with the presence of heaven. So that's the first thing that Jesus said wait for my Holy Spirit, wait for that baptism so that I can fill you with my very presence. So that's the first thing that he leaves with us. The second thing is our commission to go out into all the nations. That part of our job isn't just to um, keep our Christianity, keep our faith to ourselves, but to to actually realise that we are the light of the world and that we are meant to go out and be confident in who we are. Be, be confident in our righteousness that comes from Jesus as we go about our life, whether that's in our families, whether that's in our workplaces, whether that's in our classrooms. Wherever we go, we bring the presence of Jesus Christ with us. And then at the very end, Jesus talks about to the very end of the age. So this tells us that there's something more to come at the end of the age. And there certainly is, and we'll get to there in a moment. But what I want you to hear today, Christian, is that this part, this era that we live in, this time in history, this part is up to us. Jesus has tag-teamed with us and and He says, you're in, you're up. And how are we up? How does this all kind of play out? As we're filled with the presence of Jesus, as we say, Jesus, be my Lord and Saviour, We are washed clean. And then as we wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are filled with His presence to go out and create Edens, create temple places, create uh, presences, create spaces where heaven and earth come together. We create these spaces as we go out into all the world so that heaven And I just see God saying, thank you, Christian, for giving me permission to use you, to to work in you, to bring heaven into my world. Because remember God's intention. Remember his ideal is that heaven and earth would be together. And so with Jesus and when Jesus dies and goes to the cross um, and is raised again, and when he tag teams with us, we see this reconciliation, this reunion of heaven and earth start to, to come into motion. This plan is kicked into full throttle as we go out into the world. It's starting to look a bit messy now, but that's all right, we'll get to that. So the next thing is that Jesus talks about the end of this age. So right now, we're busy doing our work, we're busy gathering here on Sundays, we're being uh, uh, lit afire, uh, uh, coming alive with the presence of Jesus as we gather on Sundays, then we go out and we bring heaven and earth together in our workplaces. That's the space that we're in, but there's more to come. There's the end of the age to come. And what does this look like? What this looks like is Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. What do we see happen? We see heaven and earth coming back together, but it's all made new. We see the completion of God's intention, what He always desired for us, for us to live in full access to His life, to His presence. We see that come to completion. And this is the glorious future, the glorious hope that we have as Christians. And this impacts the way that we live every single day. You know, I was thinking of it and you could probably think of scenarios in your own, uh, uh, going on in your own life right now. But if I know that this is my destination where God is going to bring His plan to completion, then I know that no matter what I go through in my life, no matter what crazy event happens and, and I'm feeling like there's no hope and there's no help, I know that if God can do this on a cosmic level, if God can do this on a universal level, then He can deal with my little thing. That He can help me through whatever situation, whatever storm I go through, He has provision for that. He has a plan at work there for that. And you know what else? Whenever I go through a tough time, you know, I I don't think... um, she would mind me sharing this, but I spoke to Henny um, uh, just this last week, and many of you would know Henny and Seven. They were part of our church for many, many years, Henny did a brilliant job serving in our kids' ministry. But, you know, they're doing it a bit tough in Kalgoorlie. They were forced to move to Kalgoorlie because of visa issues. But, you know, just talking to her this week, she's afraid. She talked about how scared she is because there's no one in Kalgoorlie and there's nothing there. She's come from this family who loved her and she knows how much Lyft loved that beautiful couple. She knows that. And now when she's in the midst of the unknown and in the midst of fear, she has this to look forward to. She actually can put her confidence, and this is what she's doing, which is amazing, but she's placing her confidence in a God who will bring everything to completion, who even though she can't see right now the plans that He has for her, the plans that He has for them in Kalgoorlie, she can't see it yet, and it hasn't been brought to completion, but she knows that God is good, and He intends for them to experience His love, experience His presence wherever they go. So Christian, whenever you're in, In a season where you're in the in between, it hasn't come to completion yet. No matter what you're going through, God has a plan and He is able to bring it to completion. What He calls us to is to love Him and to be faithful, to hold on, to realize that this is the picture that we are going towards, that this is the future that we have to look forward to. It's all things that He had in mind being restored. It's absolutely beautiful if I can just get the band up this morning. You know, I wanted us to actually take a moment. I know it's been very um, brain heavy today, just kind of following on with diagrams and all that kind of stuff. But I hope you're seeing the theme here, that first of all, God's intention was to always exist with you fully, that you would experience life and life to, to the full, that you would experience joy that you would experience his peace. He never, ever wanted to be separated from you. I just get a sense that there are some people here who feel like God wants to keep you at arm's length. God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't shift heaven and earth to be back together if he didn't want you, if he didn't love you. That's the first thing I feel to say to someone, that God wants you. And he's orchestrated all of this throughout the history of time to actually be with you and you'd actually be with him. It's a beautiful truth that we have. And I believe that if we know where we're going, then that's going to actually dictate to us how we're meant to live this existence out here on earth. So what I, what I wanted to do this morning was to actually just to get us to sit, to actually think for a moment what it means to us as individuals that God would shift heaven and earth to just be with you. And so this morning, if you're comfortable, just close your eyes for a second. I don't want us to be distracted in this moment. But I want us to think upon those things. What does this truth actually do for you this morning? Is there a sense of joy that the difficulty that you're facing right now, that it's temporary, that it's just a season, that it's just a phase, that there's a future of glory, of peace, of life to the full. Remember, we can't comprehend it, but that kind of life is waiting for us. Does it fill you with joy today? Or maybe for some of us, we're actually feeling convicted Of our sin. That God, I haven't been wanting to bring your light into the world. I haven't been wanting to play my part. I've just been kind of caught up with doing my own thing. You know, if that's you this morning, that's fine. God is present, God is here. He's ready to hear your confession of sin and, and to give you grace to help you be a part of his plan. And for others of us, this truth might just fill you with an overwhelming sense of God's love. That from the very beginning of time, he wanted to dwell fully with you. And then when that couldn't happen because of our disobedience, he made a way. He set in motion this amazing plan just to show you how you are loved. I want that truth to just sit with you for a moment. So why don't you meditate on that? And then we're going to sing a song together. Father, we thank you for your truth. God, we thank you that you've been nothing but good to us. You've been nothing but kind to us. Where we sinned against you, where we disobeyed you. God, you met us with love. You met us with love in action. You put this whole plan in place just for us. and God, for that we are thankful. We know there is so much more that you haven't revealed to us that you're doing, that you're constantly doing behind the scenes. And God, we're sorry for, for maybe not paying attention to that and, and for thinking that you have left us alone and isolated. God, we repent of that. And God, we believe today that you've always been working for our good. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet? There's this song that we sing called Reckless Love. And I believe it paints for us this beautiful picture of this journey that God has taken the world on just to be with us. That his love has in fact broken through the power of death, broken through the power of sin to have us be reconciled with him. So this morning we're going to take a few moments to sing that. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at the Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.